Welcome to Work and Play, the podcast of Constanji Brooks, Smith & Profit, in which we discuss employment news and provide practical tips that you can use at your company or in your practice. I'm your host, Susan Basford-Wilson, and I am joined today by my co-host, partner and friend, Sherry Silverman. Thanks for joining me, Sherry. Happy to be here, Susan. So Sherry, I have a new goal for the podcast. Last week, I drove down to one of my clients' sites for the on-site portion of a, quote, full Department of Labor audit. It did not need to be a full audit, mind you, but it went really well. And you might not know this, Sherry, but Missouri is a fairly tall state. So it actually takes hours to drive from St. Louis down to the boot heel. And you know what I did while I drove to the boot heel? Hmm. What? I listened to podcasts for over three hours, and I really loved it. So that's my new goal for the podcast. I want someone to binge listen to us. You know, we could have a contest. Who can binge listen to us for the entire drive through their state? Um, You may not know this, but that'd be a pretty tall order for Florida. I think it takes about 13 hours to drive from the west end of the Panhandle all the way down to Key West. Wow, I didn't know that. But I like to dream big. And with that goal in mind, I wanted to talk today about a truly enthralling and entertaining subject, data privacy. Okay, I don't do a ton of work in this area, but since you do as our digital workplace and data privacy group co-chair, I'm excited to pick your brain. I admit it is a particular kind of nerdiness, but yes, I, I do love to talk about everything related to the digital workplace, whether it's electronic signatures social media, website accessibility, or data privacy. It it is actually fun stuff. You get a lot of juicy scenarios, um, but it can be highly technical. So I know you can explain it in ways we can actually understand, which is great. Well, I cannot possibly cover everything that you need to know about data privacy in one podcast. So I thought today that we would focus about on laws in the United States related to data privacy. All right, so where do you want to start? Let's start with an oldie but a goodie, the Stored Communications Act. Okay, so I know that the SCA covers voluntary or compelled disclosure of stored wire or electronic communications, but how does that relate to employers? Well, employers cannot, without authorization, intentionally access a facility through which an electronic communication service is provided unless the employer supplies the service and the access is authorized by company policy. Okay. All right. I think you need to break it down. What does that mean in practice? Well, keep in mind that analysis under the SCA is very fact-specific. But in general, employers may review emails, instant messages, and other communications sent and received through the company's own server, so long as that access is provided for by the company's policy. I do want to note, however, you could still be potentially in trouble under state-specific invasion of privacy laws because those statutes do vary, but generally the analysis there is going to hinge on whether there was an intrusion that would be highly offensive to a reasonable person and whether the employer has a legitimate business interest in accessing such information. Yeah, that's a good point, Susan. Because the this podcast is nationwide, we often talk about federal statutes, but companies also need to be aware of state-specific requirements for the states in which they operate. Absolutely. And here's another good tip. 
employers generally may not access employees' personal email accounts and or personal social media accounts on work-issued devices or by asking the employee for passwords to access those accounts. Okay, so what if the employee happens to save their login information for their personal email account on their work device? Can you then look at that email account? There are some fascinating cases on that very point. One of my favorites is a 2015 case out of Ohio where an employee turned in her work BlackBerry without deleting her Gmail account from it. The employer read the emails for 18 months after the employee left. Okay. I think I heard you right, but you said 18 months? 18 months, man. It was something like 48,000 emails. And that leaves me with so many questions. Who on earth has time to read 48,000 emails that weren't even directed toward them? And why was this email account so fascinating that somebody at the company spent so much time looking at it? Oh, you'd have to think something. I mean, there must have been something juicy in them for them to keep going, say, after like, I don't know, email 3024. So I don't know. Makes me wonder. Agreed. Anyway, the company there argued that there was implied consent from the employee because she did not delete the account. The court in Ohio did not buy the argument. The court there said that consent is essential and that the employee's negligence by not deleting the account did not equal consent. Yeah, I would have to say I agree with that. Um, But, you know, of course, a good policy is also helpful to the company in this area, right? Absolutely. I recommend that companies review their policies often and write their policies broadly in terms of what data can be accessed or monitored. Generally, you're going to want to say that the employee has no expectation of privacy on company time or company equipment and that the company may access and monitor all such communications without prior notice. Uh, There's another interesting case on this point. There were two employees who left a company to open a competing company, and the original employer accessed one employee's Hotmail account because the employee had logged into their email account on a work computer and saved that Hotmail account login information onto the computer. And, of course, the employer read the emails. And then the employer used that email account to find other usernames and passwords. Ouch. Yeah, the court did not like that situation either and sided with the employee in finding that carelessness also does not equal consent. All right. Well, that was a a great summary of the SCA in five minutes or less. So let's do another one. I've heard a lot about the California Consumer Privacy Act. So what can you tell me about that one? The Consumer Privacy Act in five minutes or less? Okay, let's give it a shot. So the California Consumer Privacy Act of 2018, CCPA, is intended to strengthen consumer privacy rights and protect data. Under the CCPA, California residents have a right to know, meaning all consumers must have notice and disclosure um, regarding the business's collection, sale, or disclosure of personal information. Consumers also have the right to access a copy of specific pieces of personal information that the business has collected. Consumers have a right to deletion. They may request that their personal 
information be deleted from business servers and service providers. And businesses must honor that request unless it's necessary to maintain the information to, for example, comply with legal obligations, complete a transaction, or uh, maintain security of the site. Consumers also have a right to opt out, so they can opt out of the sale of their personal information to third parties. And the CCPA provides the right to equal service, meaning a company cannot charge a customer a different rate or a higher price because they exercise these rights. Okay, lots of info. So who does the CCPA apply to? Is it just for California companies? Well, it's for-profit businesses that collect and control consumers' personal information, do business in California, and meet one of the three requirements. They have a, an annual gross revenue in excess of $25 million, or they receive or disclose the personal information of 50,000 or more California residents or households on an annual basis, or they derive 50% or more of their annual revenue from selling California residents' personal information. All right, so that's not every company in California, but I imagine it still covers a quite fair number of them. So you said, you know, consumers' personal information. Who is a consumer under the law? Good question. A consumer is a natural person who is a California resident, and that includes every individual who is in California for something other than a temporary or transitory purpose, and every individual who is domiciled in California who is outside of California for a temporary or transitory purpose. So the way I read it, it's basically anyone who is connected to California, currently lives there, makes their their home there for anything except a you know short vacation. And there's also language ab- about the households of California residents within the statute too. Of course. So you keep mentioning protected information. Can you elaborate on that? I'm so glad you asked. This information is any information that identifies, relates to, described, is capable of being associated with, or could reasonably be linked directly or indirectly with a particular consumer or household. Yeah. Uh, clearly, that language is written by a lawyer. So I think you need to break it down for us. Yes. So personal information, this protected information, can include all manner of things. For example, electronic network activity, including browser histories, search histories, any information about a consumer's interaction with a website, an app, or an ad, audio, electronic, visual, or thermal information, geolocation data, and Inferences drawn from this information, which are used to create a profile about a consumer, reflecting the consumer's preferences, characteristics, psychological trends, preferences, behavior, attitudes, intelligence, abilities, and aptitudes. I could keep going. Yeah, I I get the picture. So basically anything. Basically anything that you can use to analyze or identify someone or a household. And so where is this information in the employment context? Where is it not? It's in applications, records, browser histories, performance reviews, biometric information used for timekeeping, benefit-related information. Again, I could keep going. Okay. Yeah. I see. So obviously a ton of information that employers store about their employees 
is probably going to fall under that broad definition. So with that, what do covered employers need to do? Well, employers do have a slight reprieve as it relates to their employees. Until January 2021, the requirements as they relate to employee data are postponed, except employers still need to adopt reasonable security measures and disclose what categories of information are collected about applicants and employees and the business purpose for which that information is used. Okay, so just to kind of boil it down, what recommendations do you have for employers under the CCPA? I am a big fan of team efforts, and I think that you need a team to address all these issues. However, some good basic steps to do here include data mapping. You need to know where your data is saved, how long it's saved for, who can access it, and you know how long you need to save it. I also recommend that you do an outside security audit to make sure you are taking those reasonable measures. Um, And reasonable security measures itself could be a podcast just by itself. And then just keep planning for 2021. So is a company that already took steps to comply with the GDPR good under the requirements of the CCPA? Well, if your company had to comply with Europe's general data protection regulation, then yes, you can certainly leverage that effort to comply with the CCPA, but the two acts aren't identical. Okay, so quickly, who's covered under Europe's GDPR? Well, two primary groups of entities must comply, and those are companies that are located in the European Union and companies not located in the European Union if they offer free or paid goods or services to EU residents or if they monitor the behavior of EU residents. For example, if your company uses web tools that track cookies or the IP addresses of people who visit your website from EU countries, then you arguably fall under the scope of the GDPR. I don't know how strictly it will be enforced in practice, but it is it is broadly written. Yeah, that is pretty broad if you think about it. So for those who are covered, how does it differ from the CCPA? Well, foundationally, personal information is defined differently under the two acts. I'd say it's broader under the CCPA. However, I think the GDPR scope is broader. Both can have extraterritorial effects and both reflect and embody that idea of the right to be forgotten. And of course, the monetary scope of penalties is different under the two acts, but Both of them could be very, very expensive for companies who are found to not be in compliance. Yeah, that could be pretty scary stuff. So I think that gives us a pretty good picture of the various obligations and implications that these laws have in the workplace. We're running out of time. So is there a last Data Privacy Act that you want to cover today? Man, there are so many other statutes and areas that we could cover, like state-specific social media laws, and I have not touched on the Illinois Biometric Information Privacy Act, which is one of my favorites. It's one that I've been keeping a particular eye on since I'm licensed to practice law in Illinois. So, Sherry, let's do a two-part series on this one like we did for FMLA. Yeah, I agree. I think that's a good plan. So before we go... Do you have any interesting stories you want to share regarding the digital workplace? 
You know, I don't have any great CCPA stories other than the fact it ruined the holiday season for a number of people working to bring their companies into compliance. But I can tell you a fun social media story or two. Oh, I will grab my popcorn. So once upon a time, there was a mid-level manager with a perfect disciplinary background. And one day, she sent a compromising photo to her boss, who was the head of the facility. Okay. Tell me more. (laughs) And when she was asked about it by HR, she said, it must have been my grandchildren. Oh, way to go blaming the grandchildren. Right. And if you have those kind of pictures on your phone, may I recommend that your grandchildren not be playing with it? Yeah, we get two for one, like parental advice. And, you know, it's great. <laughs> great. <a> full service <laughs> employment law boutique. <laughs> so she was, she was cautioned about this behavior and it happened again, this time with a different nude picture, but equally horrifying. <laughs> The uh, general manager of the facility received it while he was sitting next to his wife, who was not best pleased that her husband was receiving these pictures. Ouch. Blame it on the grandchildren, right? (laughs) She did the second time as well. Yeah, great. Um, You know, I think that's a great way to end this podcast, don't you? Uh, Yeah, I I think you know how to clear the room, right? (laughs) Thanks for joining me today, Sherry. Thanks, Susan. You're welcome. Before we sign off, I have one small request for our listeners. We are a brand new podcast, and it would be great if those of you listening would follow us, rate us, and especially leave a written review on Apple Podcasts, Blueberry, or wherever else you get your podcasts so that other people who are interested in employment law can find us. Thank you, and we hope you tune in for the next episode in a couple of weeks.